Hey, it's Sunju. And it's Sunjit. And this is all over the place. One, two, three, let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to our podcast. If you're new here, please be sure to check out our previous episodes and season one. And we hope you like what we're doing and continue listening. So for this week's episode, we wanted to address mental health research and the amount of funding and the kind of new concepts that have come out in terms of mental health uh, in recent years. So therapy research around mental health has always been a relatively um, like a topic that hasn't been addressed as much. But in recent years, a lot of uh, funding has gone to it and a lot of new discoveries have came out. So today to talk about that, we actually have an expert in this matter, uh, Stephanie Hooker. Um, study different aspects of mental and behavioral health. And I also study health psychology. So which is the interaction between you know, mental health and physical health. Great. So I think we can just get straight into the episode. Um, so first thing is, how did you enter the field of mental health research? You know, when I was in college, I really liked the idea of studying psychology. And I really got interested in it because I wanted to understand differences between people. You know, we have a lot of the same biology, but everybody is different and has these study of individual differences, I guess, is what pulled me into psychology. And then I thought that would be really interesting to learn more about like how how do people differ and and ultimately I got interested in this idea of like how do some people you know change their behavior really easily and other people struggle and I'm when I'm talking about changing behavior I'm talking about um, you know I watched a lot of people try to start diets and really struggle with like managing their weight and having um, starting exercise programs like they would start at like think about New Year's resolutions people would start at the beginning of the year and then you know a month later they'd be done so that's really what drew me into health psychology in particular into learning about um, how do we help people make those changes in their behavior because we all know what's good for us but ultimately it's really hard for people to stick to it so that's what really got me into psychology and and I I studied that in graduate school and um, and went into clinical psychology. So I was also trained as a therapist and was able to kind of marry this um, science and practice of psychology together. And, and ultimately that's where I am now studying um, how do we develop interventions or, or therapies to help people um, improve their mental health and, and ultimately improve their physical health as well. Yeah, I think that's very, very interesting. You know, this concept where we're like we're basically like the same people yet we are all so incredibly different because of our, you know, the way we think basically. Um, So what would you say in like recent years is like your most exciting work that you've done um, in regards to this therapy intervention research? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we are working on trying to understand um, how to bring in this sense of meaning or purpose in life into our therapy. So, the idea that, you know, we all, um, or most people feel like their lives are, uh, have some sort of meaning or they have some purpose on earth that they're, they're meant to, um, do and, and people struggle with figuring that out. Like, what is that for people? But we, we're trying to incorporate that into our therapies to really help people, um, use that as motivation for making behavior change. So that's kind of some of the work we're doing now is we're, we're trying to first understand how is meaning or purpose in life related to health and health behaviors? And then ultimately, how do we integrate that into our research and therapies? 
Um, so there's been a lot of work, not my own work, but other people have done that shown that people who have a really strong sense of purpose or meaning in life um, live longer and they're healthier. They're less likely to develop, um, to have heart attacks or to, to develop Alzheimer's disease. And so we're really trying to understand why is that? And then ultimately, can we help people harness that sense of meaning or purpose and, and be healthier and, and, you know, be less depressed and be, uh, be happier in life? Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting because I feel like the whole point of life for everyone is to be happy. And when you have like a purpose and you have a goal in your life and you're not just, you know, living, like you're actually working towards that goal and wanting to accomplish it and actually have dreams. So I think that's really, really interesting. So um, what technology is being used right now to help with um, that research that you're doing? Yeah, so right now we're working on developing um, a web-based application that would basically function in the place of a therapist. So it's, um, you know, it's all technology driven. So we're working on creating um, this platform where if somebody can log in and they can kind of talk to, I guess, to the person, which is actually like the computer. And we would assess kind of where they are in life, what they're, you know, what's really important to them. And that um, data would be kind of taken into um, this personalized program where we would um, send people messages, you know, right now through text at the at the time that they said they could be more active and reminding them about what's really important. So that's kind of one way we're using technology um, to basically replace like a, a person, you know, like a therapist that you might have. Um, but in this way, the technology can be with you, you know, 24 seven. So we're hoping to see how this technology can translate into kind of a, a scalable intervention that would be able to help people. Well, okay. So to kind of be devil's advocate for that, right. Um, in terms of that technology, would you say it's going to like, it would in theory it would displace a lot of like jobs if it were to get popular like i've heard of like um like artificial intelligence based like therapy assistance and stuff like at least research going on but like in terms of like products like that would you say they're going to displace therapists and is there like a significant trade-off like i would say like i would be more comfortable talking to a person than a computer right um how is that like how, how would you address that yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. I think that there is a place for each of those interventions. Like, I don't think technology is ever going to replace human contact. Like, talking with a therapist one-on-one and, like, having a relationship with that person, I, I have a hard time imagining us replacing that with a computer. I think that, um, you know, especially somebody who's done therapy and, and worked with people, like, I think that the core thing that really works in therapy is that you have a trusting relationship with somebody who is supporting you and helping you get through difficult times in your life. Right. And, and I agree, like, I don't think we're going to be able to get a computer to do that. Like, you know, there's something unique about human connection. I think what we can get computers to do is to be adjuncts or to assist with the therapy that we have ongoing and not everybody needs a therapist like one-on-one, right? So there are some people that probably just need a little bit of extra support and that that support will get them to where they need to go. And then there are other people who are going to need more human connection, like through a therapist. So I think they'll never replace each other and they're always going to probably be in tandem. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so in terms of like, like 
all of this research, right? Where would you ideally want to be in like, let's say like 10 years, like um, where would you want like the state of mental health research to be? Like, let's say you could create like anything basically to let, let like the work you're doing revolves around like uh, health psychology and therapy and intervention interventions into in regards to making people feel better. So ideally, let's say in 10 years, right, where would you want your research to be if you could have any kind of research out there that proved something, what would you want it to be? <laughs> That's a really great question. I I think what I would love to see in mental health, and so like I work within a health system too, so I'm not doing my research in isolation. I think about, you know, health services and the way we offer like mental health care to people. Like I think what I would love to see is that kind of marriage between like that in-person one-on-one therapy with like a suite of technological um, offerings that we could have for people and that we could figure out what kind of therapy do you need? So like, for example, if um, you came into our clinic and you you were struggling with something like depression, anxiety, or, or even just like making health behavior changes, that we would be able to kind of do an assessment and match a series of programs or interventions to you that would help you get to where you need to go. I think that we, one thing we've figured out in mental health research is that not every program works for every person. And so that comes back to like this idea of individual differences, right? So people um, will come into therapy and you can give them the same therapy like the same exact therapy, like in a manual, like the person's going through the same kind of exercises, but they have different outcomes. And so how do we figure out which therapy to offer people when, and what's going to be most effective for this type of of problem, this type of person, you know? And so that to me is like kind of the ultimate dream is that we would be able to figure out what to give people at the right time to help them get to where they need to go. Well, um, what are your ideas right now, like being able to differentiate what therapy each person needs? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think part of it is, you know, how people um, learn and kind of like what really resonates with them. So there are some people um, for I'll give you a couple examples of different types of therapies that we offer for for people. So there's one type of therapy, it's called behavioral therapy. Um, where we really encourage people to just do things differently, right? And so that might be setting up um, different uh, goals and then working towards that and uh, that goal, you know, each week with a per- with another therapist. We call that behavioral activation. You know, and for some people, like not talking about what they're thinking about and not talking about um, like what happened in their past, like works. Like they feel better. Like their depression goes away because they just start doing things that counteract like how they were feeling before, but that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. So there's other therapies that really focus on what you're thinking. And like some people have these patterns of negative thoughts and and things that are uh, maybe self uh, deprecating or they like give them poor self-esteem. So what we do is we kind of, we look at those thoughts with them and then we talk to them about like, how do you change those thoughts and and how do you 
do you really believe those thoughts? And so, you know, someone might, you know, have been told their whole life that they have to live a certain way or they have to do something a certain way. And that thought is keeping them from moving forward. And so we have to address those thoughts because if we just tell them to start doing things differently, those thoughts are always going to be there. Um, you know, and then finally, some people really struggle with this idea of changing thoughts. So then we have to think about like, oh, could we, can you accept that you have these thoughts and just think of it? It's just a thought. You're giving that thought a lot of meaning, but it's not really there. So what I'm trying to say with all of this, like examples of therapy is that I think some people um, work better with some therapies based on kind of like where they've been. Like we're all products of our, of how we've grown and like who has been in our lives and what have they told us about ourselves. And we have these like core beliefs about the world. And so that's different for everybody. So if we can figure out how to like, address what's the underlying cause of their like, depression, anxiety, whatever, that maybe we can match these programs a little bit better. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting because, I mean, I think I resonate with especially lowest self-esteem and a lot of people in the program we're in have that too. So that's really interesting to hear. And um, also, I have a question. I know you're saying a lot of things about technology and how technology can help mental health research, but would you also say how would you respond to saying that technology also can make mental health worse because um, stuff such as social media that introduces, I know in the beginning of the episode, you were talking about how people view their bodies differently than what they actually are. And social media kind of brings that where um, people are comparing themselves to models and um, influencers. So how do you think, wouldn't you say that technology also is bad for mental health? Yeah, I think, you know, so far the research on social media is a little bit of a mixed bag. So, you know, there's a lot of what we call cross-sectional studies, studies that happen at one point in time where they measure, for example, young people, teens, young adults, they measure their social media use, like how much they're on social media. And then they look at like depression and anxiety symptoms. And they do show usually this correlation so that, you know, people who use social media more are probably also reporting some more depression and more anxiety. And it might be because of what you're saying, like their comparisons about, you know, through people they see on social media, whether that be celebrities or these influencers, or even among their friends, like, you know, people don't present themselves as accurate depictions of who they are on social media. We're always kind of putting forth a face that maybe is not totally true. And so, you know, depending on what you view on social media could definitely influence, you know, your mental health. But on the other side, there's been a couple of more recent like longitudinal studies that show that the more social media people use is not necessarily associated with their mental health problems. And I think that it's because there are there it's a it is a mixed bag, right? Like some people could be using social media in a way that does negatively influence how they feel about themselves and are they how they look at the world. And then other people might be accessing positive you know, social support, you know, there's, um, there's peer support groups, or there's other things on there that help people. And so there, it really depends on how people are using it and what they're viewing on social media. Yeah, I definitely think it's a mix of both of, you know, like the good sides and the bad sides. But how exactly do you address that where people, you know, obviously, we have Photoshop and different editing tools now to make, like you said, um, people look different in person than they do online. So I think that even with people with body image issues, I know I struggle with that too. A lot of people, we just see it, we don't really see that, oh, this is Photoshop. That's not the first thing that people really think. So how do you address that and 
see it so that people realize, oh, this is Photoshop. This isn't actually um, what people are supposed to look like. This isn't the beauty standard. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that you're probably not alone and that most people, especially when you're just kind of scrolling through some kind of feed, like on Instagram or something, that you you just assume that that's real, right? And I think that part of that is, should be put back on the social media companies, right? Like if there's some way to tag, like, hey, this has been edited. I don't know if they can, you know, honestly, I'm not a technology I don't know technology to that extent, but I think that's part of it is like recognizing what's real and what's fake. Like the the technology with like deep fakes and things right now, they're getting so real. Like it's hard to, um, you know, pick out what's real and what's fake. But, you know, I think of it from an individual standpoint, because I'm a, a psychologist. So I think of it like as, you know, if I were to be talking with somebody about like how they use social media, like I would, you know, say like if you're looking at something and you're I would just challenge you, the first thought you should have, it should have is this is probably not real. Right. Like this is not how somebody is actually living their life. This is not what's really happening. And because that's probably the more likely scenario than assuming that that life or that somebody's trying to present on social media is real. So again, it comes back to like thoughts and how do you, how do you actually view the content that you're seeing? Yeah. I think that that's, that's basically like a very accurate, accurate portrayal of social media in general. I feel like there's advantages and disadvantages to everything, but um, you know, that the fact that like those cross-sectional studies exist, that's actually very interesting to me because I would have actually expected like most of these studies to be agreeing that social media is pretty bad because um, for like mental health, especially for teenagers and stuff, because that's basically like, at least I thought it was like the majority opinion that a lot of people share at this point. Um, but, you know, media in general, I would say it has a pretty big stronghold uh, over, over, you know, the way we think. So, uh, moving away from social media, one of the big recurring themes of our podcast is actually like mental health portrayal in media. So how would you say like movies and TV shows, music, how, how would you say those affect, um, you know, mental health? You know, I, I think that in more recent years, the, you know, like movies and music have been much more, um, open to presenting like mental health problems in a way that is helpful for people and kind of normalizing it I think for one um like there was that like rap song that came out a few years ago I can't even remember who did it but it was like the 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 logic song yeah 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 maybe where it's the name (laughs) of the song was like the 273 talk like that you know number and yeah so that was like a huge leap forward for people because people didn't even know what that number was until like he started rapping about it right so like I think that normalizing this idea that, you know, people struggle with mental health and, you know, most like half of people and will have a mental health problem in their lifetime. Right. So it's going to be something that is a lot of people experience, if not in themselves in someone that they're really close to or they care about. So I think normalizing mental health is important and I'm glad that it's becoming um, talked about a lot more in, in these uh, media outlets. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, in music and in media in general, obviously they have a different way of showing, um, you know, that relatability of, oh, that mental health is normal. It's not something that is just, you're not weird or crazy just because you struggle mentally, you know, that's a normal thing. And I feel like music and media in general now is getting way better at portraying that and making sure that everyone knows like they're not alone and actually addressing these important issues. 
Yeah, I, I would say like there there's been a lot done done in terms of that. Um so I guess I guess moving forward from that, right? Uh would you say that uh like like this idea of normalization of mental health, does it also have some like some setbacks, right? Where um like I, I know I, I'm not necessarily sure if this is like insensitive in any way but would you say that normalizing mental health in media or just culture in general can cause like more people to just uh self-diagnose themselves with uh like depression or something like that and how dangerous would that be um you know i i don't necessarily think that like people you know self-diagnosing with depression is a bad thing i think you know, actually like people raising awareness of what, what is depression is like important. But I also think like that normalization and talking about it should also normalize seeking help. Right. So like part of it is if, if these portrayals normalize going to a therapist or, you know, talking to a psychiatrist or somebody, I think that that's really important. And so, you know, anything that kind of normalizes mental health in a way like, oh, you should just live with it and not seek help. That obviously can be detrimental, right? We don't want, we don't want that. We want people to feel like, you know, hey, this is something that happens to people and there are things that can help you. That is important, you know, but anything that kind of deters people away from getting in treatment that I would say would be bad. Yeah, um, obviously, like, there's a stigma around therapy and psychology in general, where, you know, it's kind of labeled as this thing that only quote unquote crazy people go to. And so how would you respond to that? Because I know a lot of people are scared to seek help, or they feel like weird um, about seeking help in general. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And, and I think that, you know, if you think about where therapy, like the origins of therapy came from, it was like this really weird thing where you'd go and lay on a couch and like, you know, or that's what people imagine, right? They're laying on a couch and they're just talking and spilling their soul while this person like writes a bunch of notes. And that's, that's really not what therapy is, especially now, you know, it's often you're going to a, you know, like a doctor's office or an office, you're, you're going to talk to someone and, you know, they're, they're not there to judge you. That's not what they're, they're doing. They're there to just listen and help you kind of figure out how to deal with whatever you're dealing with. And so I think the important thing to think about is that like, um, you know, it's not, I I'm hoping that what happens is eventually is that people will just see going to therapists as some, as like going to their primary care doctor or going, you know, to get a checkup. Like it's, it should be part of your overall health and not something that like is only for people that are like quote unquote crazy. Mm-hmm. And how would you say that people like build that trust and they're able to talk about their feelings like that with their therapist because obviously it is confidential but at the same time you know I I feel like yeah it is very easy to open up to a stranger compared to people you're close with but opening up in general about mental struggles is a big step in general to seeking help and um, getting treated for your mental illness so how would you say people build that trust? That's a really great question because I think one thing that I would want out there is that just because you made an appointment with one therapist and you went to one therapist and it maybe like you didn't feel that connection with them, that doesn't mean that therapy is not going to work for you. I think that 
part of it, which is unfortunate, it's really hard to do is finding a match, right? Like finding a person that you feel like you can trust and that you feel like that really understands you. And so part of it is finding the right fit with a therapist that you feel like you can open up to and you can have that conversation with. And so, you know, what I've heard the most when I've talked to people, they're like, oh, I tried therapy. It didn't work. And they, they usually just went one time and they didn't really and, and honestly, you don't really get into therapy until maybe like the third, third or fourth session with somebody, because a lot of those early sessions are the therapist really trying to getting to know you. So they're asking a lot of questions or trying to really understand what's going on. And that is very different than therapy where you're giving the opportunity to really work on things. So I would say first, like if you're going to give it a try with someone, give them at least three to five sessions. And then if that doesn't work, try somebody else because there are other therapists out there. So I think finding a match and then honestly giving it a good try where you can try to develop a relationship with pers- a person is really key. Well, do you think technology could play a part in that process where um, earlier you said that you were basically like people could be talking to like a computer and they would be analyzing like the problems they have or something like that. So do you think there could ever be a moment where there was like a tool that allowed like patient profiles to match with doctor profiles for like the best match possible um like do you think that could ever be a thing to kind of address that issue i i would love to see that and i think ai could get us there with like understanding um how a you know what aspects of a different person might be good match for a different type of therapist like each therapist has their own style each person has their own needs i would love to see some sort of research that could try to really match people with a therapist that they think would be a good fit but we are definitely nowhere near close to being able to figure that out yeah that makes sense you know people are like very complicated i would say like it's very hard to like just deduce like a or like oversimplify a profile of a person Uh, that Mm -hmm. would be pretty difficult um so i guess in terms of like recent years right uh like would you say there's like how would you say like the interest in at least or the funding or attention to mental health research has increased uh since you've started you know kind of working in the field um you know, I think there's always been funding for mental health. I think that the funding priorities shift and change over time for sure. So, you know, at least, so a lot of my funding comes from the National Institutes of Health. And so it's, you know, governmental funding. And I would say like from a mental health standpoint, it seems like there's more interest in kind of understanding the, the mechanisms, like what are the things that actually help people with therapies? So that's kind of a funding priority for from the mental health side. I would say from the substance use side, like there's a lot more funding that has been poured into opioid use. But obviously, if you know, I'm sure you've heard of like the opioid use crisis. And so like there's funding that has been poured into that to try to really understand that. So, you know, over time, the funding priorities just kind of shift with what's happening in the world. And so, you know, like another mental health example is that there was some recent funding for like understanding childhood and teen suicide um you know obviously that those are things that happen in the media so then you know that you know policymakers and and funding decisions kind of come in like how do we address these major problems that we're trying to face so it really does shift with what's happening in the world yeah um so you mentioned like uh, at the very beginning of this episode where um like like a purpose in life kind of helps with uh you know like finding direction and being successful and making sure that you don't develop health problems um well 
Uh, you just mentioned, right, uh, like substance abuse. How would you say substance abuse and like drug usage plays a part in mental health or, or in terms of in general, like your mindset or how you feel about like life in general? Oh, man, that is such a great question. I think, you know, I, there, I think there's a few different ways it plays a role. So one is like, I think that people get into drug use or substance use from different angles, you know, like there are definitely people who start with using um, certain substances because like their, their friends were doing it or, or like it was part of like a recreational thing. And, you know, so it wasn't necessarily something that they started using because it was um, like helping with like helping people self-medicate. So that's kind of like another way people start using drugs is like, oh, this, this pill makes me feel better. And so like they're, you know, like they have a depression or have anxiety or something like that. And the, the medicine or the drug they're using helps that. So they're like, I think that, you know, sometimes people feel a little lost and then they start experimenting with these different drugs. And ultimately that, you know, it's like how they get into it. But once people start using drugs, a lot of the times their brains get completely rewired into like the only way they can feel any sort of pleasure is by taking that drug. And so that, you know, that's really where you get into the use disorder, right? Where people are using a substance because they are physically addicted to it. And so it just perpetuates a cycle. And the only way they find pleasure is by using this drug. And so then they, they disconnect from like people that are important to them from their jobs, from other, you know, other parts of their life, because their whole life becomes consumed to trying to get more of this drug and to make sure that they can kind of experience that, that same euphoria or pleasure. And so when we're um, working with people in recovery, the, the main goal is to figure out like, how do I get people to one, do we, we satisfy their cravings. Sometimes we have medicine, great things for opioid uses. We have medicines that help take away those cravings for other drugs. We don't necessarily have that, but we are um, trying to get people to re-engage in life in a way that they can find that purpose and find that meaning outside of that drug use. So, you know, it, pl it definitely plays a role at the beginning, like how people get into that drug, but then over time, like, how do we get them out of it? And, and it's, it's just a really challenging thing to do. Yeah. Um, I feel like that is very interesting about how substance abuse can affect mental health and also what you said about recovery in general and how people should interact with other people around them. And that's a big step in recovery. So I think the whole reason why we invited you to this podcast is just to, I guess, share with our audience, um, about mental health research now and obviously since we are in a stem um in a stem program that we wanted to talk about how technology plays a role in mental health and also in general about how seeking help is a really good thing to do especially as a teenager that going to therapy is a really good idea when you're struggling mentally and especially in a competitive and stressful environment so what it ex what advice would you give to the audience and what would you want to say to the audience in general who are mostly teenagers about mental health and seeking help? Yeah, I just just want to say that it, like it's totally okay to not be okay and and to tell people about it. You know, I think that where really people really struggle is when they feel like they have to like get through it on their own or they feel like, like they can't tell somebody. So find that person you can tell, like whether that's a friend or a, a family member or somebody that is willing to talk with you and help you figure out how to get help. So there, there are definitely tons of qualified people out there, therapists, psychologists that you could talk to. And so just be willing to like go 
and and try it out is my best advice. Yeah, and I feel like obviously it's hard because when you go to one therapist and they're not the match for you, you kind of get discouraged and you're like immediately like, oh, therapy is not for me. And you Mm -hmm. don't really have the motivation to go and see other therapists just because that one therapist is um, didn't work for you. So how exactly do people keep going and push to see other therapists, even when one of them didn't work? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it, it can be really hard, right? Cause you could be going to a therapist and it's not working. And, and I'm hopeful that a lot of therapists would recognize that it's not working as well and would be open to having you helping you find somebody else. But if there's not like, I think it's okay to, um, you know, call a different clinic or call somebody else and just like, you know, make an appointment to see somebody. I don't feel like you have to continue to see the same therapist if you feel like it's not a good match. And, you know, of course, if you know people um, who have gone to therapy in your area and you feel like, you know, ask them how they felt about their experience. Did they like the people that they or the person that they saw? And taking referrals from people that um, know people is sometimes a better way to figure out where to go. Um. Yeah, so I guess... The last question is, we talked a lot about purpose and happiness. So what exactly do you think is the best way to achieve, you know, that meaning of life and also just happiness in general? Oh, I mean, if I had the answer to like the one way to do that, I would be a a multimillionaire. But, um, you know, I what I usually do is it's a process, right? Like I encourage people to to reflect on what's really valuable or important to them in their life and to not give the socially acceptable answers. Like, I think that we all, we all grow up in, in families or in cultures that, that support, um, you know, for example, like being in a STEM science, right. Or like be, you know, going towards a a career, right. As being something you should value highly. And, and that's not always true for people. So I think being willing to, you know, really evaluate what's really important to you. And maybe that is social outlets. Maybe that is, you know, traveling or having fun, like whatever it is, but making sure that you are doing those things on a regular basis that you find really important to you. So we kind of try to help people you know, match their, their values and their meaning to what they're spending their time with. And that ultimately that when you're, you feel like those things align really well, like if, if you really value, you know, for example, spending time with your friends and you're spending time with your friends, you're going to feel better. So like, that's kind of what I would encourage people to do is try to do this like self exploration and reflection to like figure out what's really important to them and make sure they're doing those things on a regular basis. Yeah, and um, I think that's honestly really interesting because I feel like especially since in the program we're in right now, we focus way more on academics and our work other than actually doing stuff that makes us happy or doing the things we want because we feel this pressure from everyone else and not just us in our program, but in general, there's a lot of pressure for people. So it's really hard for people to do what they want to do and what makes them happy or even know what that is and want to explore that because of the pressure they feel from other people or because they feel obligated to you know do what other people want because obviously like everybody cares about someone so it's really hard to take care of yourself and love yourself first yeah and and like you said uh, it's a process and that that's also been like a very recurring theme in our podcast where we're like um, we've been taught to care about like very specific things. I think you also mentioned this earlier, like, um, like we are a product of our environment and 
this this kind of stems from the fact that like we were kind of taught to like have specific priorities and only care about certain things but it gets there's like a, a very large conflict later on when we start realizing there's a lot of other things to care about including ourselves and our own mental health and i would say yeah it's a process and uh, i just want to say like personally like uh from from us like thank you so much for like participating and partaking in this like this mental health research because i think it's like extremely valuable and it's making a very good change for the world yeah thank you so much for being guest on our podcast i think this is like one of my favorite episodes so far (laughs) well thank you both for inviting me it's been a pleasure to talk with you about about my work and what i'm really passionate about so thank you Okay, yeah. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, make sure to check out Stephanie Hooker. Um, we will probably post her email on our story so you can reach out to her if you have any questions, um, because obviously she does have a lot of insight, as you can see throughout this episode. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you guys want to stay up to date on our episode announcements and just some behind the scenes, make sure to follow our Insta and we have a TikTok now. So um, it's at all underscore over dot the place. So uh, make sure to follow that to get any updates about episodes and everything and also share our podcast if you like what we're doing. And yeah, see you guys next week. Um, new episodes every Wednesday. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Let's go.